Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? It is August 25th, 2017, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 91. Yeah. Joining me, uh, that was the voice of, of Danielle Riendo. Uh, so the old Danielle is not answering the phone. Okay. Because she's dead. Okay. We seem to have Danielle Swift here. <laughs> D-Swizzy. D-Swizzle, baby. Uh-huh. Old Danielle's dead. Fuck, that song's bad. <laughs> it is. So I, bad. I, 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 okay, hold on. All right, like, all right, before, all right. before we uh, get Patrick, to. Wait, wait, Patrick Klepik also joining us. Yeah. <laughs> also a Taylor Swift fan? I am a. Historically? Pop, pop music aficionado. I both, okay. uh, I, I uh, have a deep adoration for both 1989 uh-huh. and Red specifically out of the sure. Taylor Swift catalog. I, I, I just, I really like pop music as a, as a form and. Right. As an art, um, there was a time when I would have really judged you for that, and I'm so fucking glad I'm out of that time. Like the like 16 to 23 year old Austin was the fucking worst. Oh, Look, so. I st- I still sit and listen to cigarettes with their made up Icelandic language, and then on the other end, I I really enjoy like blasting uh you know a song like Take It Off, uh, Shake right. It Off, Take It Off. No, that's a whoa whoa hey. sorry hey. sorry. Uh, Be careful, you're gonna wind up in a fucking Taylor Swift song. <laughs> That's You're, new Taylor, not old Taylor, who's dead. So just so you know. Uh, You're the you. You're the you she's talking about, and look what you made me do. I oh, see. my God. Rob Zachney also here with us. Uh, uh, silent. I'm just happy to be here. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, my God. Oh, what? So, it's it's bad. This, this, yeah. this, this single, like, I, I come at this single not to drag it because, like, it's a popular thing to drag today. Right. It's just to say, like, uh, Taylor Swift, popular, like, mostly beloved uh, pop figure, has made something that critically well, is being rejected. Hold she's on. She's going through a bit of, uh, like, what's the reverse of a renaissance? A uh, rut? Like, not just a rut, because a rut uh, suggests, like, person, like, professional. Oh, you're just doing the same thing. Right. She's going through a collapse of the Roman Empire? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think she's going through like a bit of a backlash, like, but it's like a long backlash. It's yeah. been like a year of backlash, and I well, don't and know. also well, I think... like both both Katy Perry terrible yes. pop album. Her yep. new album oh. is a complete fucking disaster. Oh. Like uh, pseudo political bullshit single nonsense. And I'm fine with politics in your in your in, in your, your pop, pop but it's right. but that single was bad. The album is oh. bad. They tried to do a Space Jam music video for some shitty song called Swish Swish recently and it's yeah, bad. It's, it's bad. bad all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have deep reverence for Space Jam too, so you're coming at a lot of my things. Wait, Katie you have Perry. deep reverence for Space Jam too? You've seen Space Jam too? You've already oh, seen the shit. sequel? I can't talk about that. Mark Laidlaw put he it wrote on the blog. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Good. It's up. I feel like we probably should just end the podcast. Yeah. That's it. That's Thank me. you, Rob. For, yep. 
Oh my god. So the thing I the thing I Mugs do running, right, of course. <laughs> All right. I am I am a distant observer of the ongoing drama of Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. But I am curious. There's an element of this the song is like really mediocre. But then there's also an element of the song is an attempt at like the artist presenting yourself as one thing. And it does kind of feel like just collectively people have had enough of Taylor's shit. Yeah. <laughs> and like, this specific bit doesn't work any like you're so popular. You're so popular. You can't just keep playing the victim. Like, weirdly, this is the same shit that got Kanye in trouble years ago, right? Which is like, my dude, you helped define a new generation of music. You don't get to whine anymore. Which is, like, not fair. Everyone gets to whine. But, like, the sort of, like, positioning yourself as vulnerable, not just vulnerable, but as someone who's not in a position of power is one, like, really not a good look. And then two, and I think there's a lot of the pressure on Taylor right now, is just, like, you have a position of power and you've fucking done nothing with it for the last year, a year in which people with positions of power should have thought about what can I do with my platform, how can I reach people, how can I make the world slightly better, especially given what people believe to be her politics, her family's politics, you know, the, the fact that she's kind of been like white feminism .txt for the last three years, right? Like has been just like, oh, like big brand feminism, like girl power by my album. Like right. that's that's right. what it is to that's be thing. to be a woman in in the mid you know 2010s is gotta support T Swift, girl power hashtag squad, right? Like, but also oh. hold on, you are able to ri- you would be able to rise above all of that criticism. If if the song was right good, it was good. Right? right? So it's like like the the political criticism like would exist, but it would exist in a series of takes on Vulture and other places right. across the internet. But the you could get over that if it was a song. I mean, you're never gonna recreate "Shake It Off." That is like a defining right. pop song of like the last 10, 10 years. Like you're not gonna quite reach that height again. Until but take it off, yeah, right. exactly. Until take it yeah. off, it's a sequel song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's just it's just not good. Like it's not catchy. It's not interesting. I'll give it a couple other listens. But like she, I think she's getting it from both sides because it is both does not engage with what people were hoping uh, Taylor Swift would do as sort mm-hmm. of like a political platform, and then also is unable to deflect that criticism by just being like a incredibly good peeps of pop music, right. which then can use that as a shield against the criticism because people can go, well, yeah, like that part sucks, but like, yo, that song is like really good. Really good, yeah. <laughs> which again is the thing that like the Kanye's of the world will do. Is like, be shitty. Be like, you know, uh, completely insufferable. <laughs> and then like, I can't stop listening to this fucking album. I, I know. God damn yep. it. Yep. And like, but that's, and that's what Taylor Swift has done for me in the past too. That's what a lot of like pop musicians have done for me in the past. She's like, oh, I really hate everything about everything about your public persona, everything about what your lyrics are, but this is just in my brain and I'm never, mm-hmm. it's never getting out of my brain. Can I ask a, a, a really intense question yeah. here Uh-oh. at this? Yes. Please. Are you talking about Justin Bieber? I'm not actually. Well, okay. All that right. track that's like huge. Right? What's that? What's the summer? What's the song? That's the not even his song, though. It's not. That's, yeah, it's a Bieber feature. It's a Bieber feature. Who? What's, whose song is that? Is that a? God, I don't know the group. This is bad. Which is probably is most bad. people. Most yeah. people probably don't know that. What the no, group's name is? Yeah. Fuck. Uh, I can't believe I don't. I can't I believe the song. I'm mixed. Well, is it a group or is it a label songwriter? It's a no. He ju- he jumped on like a Hispanic uh, like 
Pop track. Despacito. It's on the Despacito. one. No, not yes. Despacito. Is all oh, right. He was also on Despacito. Right. right. He's on the, the one I was thinking of. Yeah, he does the remix of that, and the video for that is hilarious and bad. Is, yeah. But the <laughs> what I was thinking of was the DJ Khaled uh, on the one, oh, which is beat oh, the chance. Sure. Right, uh, right, right, Quay right. Rowan and Lil Wayne, yeah, which yeah. is like that song's really catchy. That song is super catchy. It's so catchy. Chances verse is really good. That anyway. Yeah. Has Taylor mm-hmm. thought about doing more tracks with people who are better <laughs> better musicians than she is? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> oh. Maybe the old her that's dead was the one who was a good musician. Oh. I think I think the odds oh. I think the odds of her being able to do those collaborations were somewhat dinged by the release of that uh, phone call. Yeah, probably, uh, probably, like, like probably at that point, it's like I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to collaborate. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably not going to get Kendrick on anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, at this point. Uh, anyway, welcome to Waypoint Radio, our weekly culture and music podcast. <laughs> uh, look, pop- all of this means we- is that the the uh, imminent rise and ascendancy of the true pop queen, Carly Rae Jepsen, oh, whose please. album Emotion is one of the best pop albums of the last 10 years. <laughs> and if you judge her based on uh, songs like Call Me Maybe, you are you are depriving yourself of some of the best 80s influenced like <laughs> pop album it's an emotion is incredible the it's b-sides very it's very very good and you should go listen to it call me maybe and i really really like you are not representative of her great work carly ray ascend the throne Take i it. don't i looked i you feel made like that tweet the other day patrick patrick made a tweet that was just like <laughs> carly redemption was robbed basically of of the fame that she should have had and i was like no, that's not true like that album did really well and mm-hmm. then i looked and like it barely sold over a hundred thousand copies like yeah like i don't it only sold twelve thousand copies like in its first week oh or my something, God. or sixteen thousand. That's like really low. That's really low. I know sixteen thousand like people. Of pop out. Right. <laughs> right, it's the prey of you pop have way more. Oh no! Oh, I just got really sad. Really... Oh my God! Yeah, but the but the second half of emotion is really good. Oh my God! Knives <laughs> out right I now. Am... We coming for you, prey. I'm coming for you, T Swift. Who's next? I am out. I've never liked Half-Life all that much. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. That you know game's what? all right. Dark Souls games are overrated. Okay. Bloodborne well, okay. is the best by far. All right? I would, all right? I would agree with that, though. I don't think that's a hot Rome take. Rome Total War fucking sucks. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, how about that Trump guy? We all, yeah, we all hate him. He's no good. That's what I'm going to yeah. hot take. Yeah, that was like the, somebody advised it. was Eve Bensler who like wrote a thing like, I don't know, guys. I think this Trump fellow is no good. No good. Like she kept writing it's, these like '50s old man very, like takes yeah. on Trump. Like I think he's a bad fella. It's very good. Vice.com for all your hottest. Uh, uh, Half Life. Let's talk about Half Life briefly. Good, there you go. I okay. So I've never been a huge Half Life fan. I, I beat the first Half Life. I played a little bit of Half Life Two, and it never did anything for me. Did you play it? Yeah, I was gonna say. Years later. Yeah. yeah, I played it. I know. I played it when it hit the orange box collection because right. I didn't have a gaming PC. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and okay. I couldn't get past the boat section because I was uh, bored to death of it. I didn't even um, get that far, to be honest with you. And, yeah. and I, but I've since watched people play through the whole thing. I was like, I have to fucking watch a Let's Play of this or something. Um, so I've done that, and, uh, you know, I, I respect it. I recognize what it did for games. I recognize, like, here are the, here are the, the keystones, you know, uh, that it put in place for physics-based simulation. Here's, like, some of the some really story cool storytelling stuff. stuff. Yeah. Right. Totally. Um, but it's never had, I just have no, even though I played through Half-Life 1 when it came out on a PC at the time, like, 
I just don't have any reverence. I don't have that, like, in my veins. Um, but I have had, like, a deep professional curiosity, I think, like, most games journalists have, of, like, all right, when are we going to get that Half-Life 3 news? Like, when is <laughs> how many of the rumors have that I've heard have been true? Like, how many Half-Life 3s have been shut down at Valve? <laughs> um, like, bit by bit, you see writer after writer after writer leave Valve. You see, like, people who would be on that team step away to go do other projects. Or you hear rumors which are not verified, allegedly you'll hear like, oh yeah, Valve just keeps paying these writers to basically sit in a room and just kind of like not go make games elsewhere. Make some um, Team Fortress 2 comics. Yes, exactly. And uh, and that's that has been like what we've heard for years. And then in the middle of the night last night, uh, I got sent a link and I clicked on it and it didn't work because everyone was going to that link and had broken <laughs> Mark Laidlaw's uh, blog <laughs> servers. <laughs> Mark Laidlaw had previously been at Valve, had been a writer uh, on the Half-Life projects. He was the, the, so the chief was, like, architect the chief, of, yeah. the, of the, the writing for – I mean obviously there are other people involved that came yep. in as the series evolved. But uh, if you're like looking for like the genesis of like the Half-Life story structure, like yeah. you're thinking of Mark Laidlaw. Uh, and he put out something called Epistle 3, uh, which is a little joke because the last Half-Life game that came out was Half-Life 2 Episode 2, and it was supposed to be part of a three-episode trilogy that was never finished. Uh, and it was like a names change to protect the innocent like <laughs> overview about what Half-Life 2 Episode 3 would have been. Um, it has since been like quote unquote translated. You can go find it on NeoGaf. You can find it's floating around yeah. Twitter and, and Facebook and stuff at this point. Uh, and it's like, oh, here's what the plan for episode three would have been. And he has said like, oh, this is not official. This isn't it. Don't no, it's not official. I have my doubts. It's official. I have. I don't. It's not. You know, it doesn't have the valve. Well, or of official, official at one point, right? right. Like this I, was right, in I, the writers. This room. was right. Yes. That's the way. This reflects a thing that would have been that project at some point. Yeah. Yeah. What I was, were you gonna say, Patrick? I, well, so I do. I think Rob and I maybe are on a different page. Where like I, I was totally. in context with those series as they came out and mm-hmm. were revelatory for all the reasons that they are revered for, but also may, may make it them harder to appreciate if you're in, you know playing them out of context of when mm-hmm. they were created. And so, like, I got to experience like the idea of like a story structure in a first-person shooter, which Half Life you know more or less pioneered the modern approach to and i got to experience like what it meant um to have sort of like context clues for solving puzzles and the right, physics stuff that half-life right. did too. like that was all like breaking things at the time and uh, are can be appreciated but i can also see how they kind of stick out in weird ways now or be more difficult to to enjoy in a modern context and like to like as a fan like i'm not as deep into the half-life lore as some people are but i I steeply sympathize with the fan uh, sort of ire over the idea of a trilogy (laughs) being proposed and not just the fact that it hasn't been finished. The thing that has always raised my ire with Valve has been their inability to provide closure in any measure of the word. If at some point Valve, like it would have been better for Valve to say, we have decided to take our studio in a different direction. We have no intention of following up. The Half-Life franchise that was uh, we were in a different place. Steam is the thing we do now. Dota is the thing we do now. And then if they ever decided to revisit Half-Life and finish it, it would be a genuine surprise and right. people's expectations would be in a better place. But like the fact that they've gone this long where like he you know, uh uh like a couple of years ago there was a Valve interview with Jeff Keeley 
um, where they cryptically, in code words, talked about the state of Half-Life 3 uh-huh. as a way of giving fans... A game, this was a Gabe Newell interview. Like, as a way of, like... Like, to people that are in the know, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think they talked about it in the context of, like, Ricochet 3, which is a, a reference to an early Valve <laughs> like game that first, sometimes... Yeah. Their first game, I think, or something like that. You can still buy it on Steam. And, like, that's that game's all right. Talk- <laughs> sure. But, and, and that's the way they talk about this series. And I've always found it deeply frustrating because at some point, just, like, man the fuck up and explain what you're doing because, like, you wouldn't be here without Half-Life. Like, Half-Life right. defined right. your studio. The fans that built you up as a studio... Like is on the back of Half Life, and like source people... as an engine. Yeah, like, like uh, you know, so much of that stuff comes back to Half Life. And I, I again, like, even though I don't have that emotional touchstone, I recognize it as like as kind of a shitty thing. Like I don't, yeah, I don't know. There's I also an wanna... element of um, like the way they've handled this. In addition to sort of having Half Life end practically mid sentence, like Episode Two, like is a hard fade to black. <laughs> it's a like, it's it's a crazy yeah, cliffhanger. Yeah, it's like, a it's ridiculous not... cliffhanger. I rewatched it last night because I was like, "Is that how it really? Yeah, uh huh. Yep. That's how it yeah. really That's ended." It. And guess what? The end of what Episode Three would have been would have also been a ridiculous yep. cliffhanger. Yes. So yep. it would have been teasing Half Life. This Half Life. Or... This Half Life Episode yeah. Three, whatever whatever it would have been called. This version of it that that Laidlaw lays out in this blog post. Uh, yeah, is unbelievable. The, the other element of this, though, is that like, there's the, the sort. Of, I sort of have two two problems with this. One is that there's no reason not for for Valve to have not done anything with this. Like, Valve could Valve make the kind of money that they could like release a triple A bomb every year, and it would not make a yeah. damn bit of difference to their bottom line. And they collected right. They collected really like top tier game development and and writing talent and put them in this like gilded cage and then like did nothing with it it's this weird like you <sighs> you imagine yourself as like if i had those resources right i would try to make something well, happen so the stories the- that i've heard again and again were that they were trying to make things happen on different you know in, in completely different styles they did you know uh, uh, stuff in vr they wanted to do stuff around new ideas like they needed something that was going to be as genre defining as what the original half-life and what half-life 2 did and well, they didn't need to but they set that goal internally again Rumors from developers. Uh, yeah, and I've, and blah, blah, I've, blah. I've heard yeah. similar things over right. the years, and okay. I think that was like like the that was the mistake they made. Yes. Um, at the, at some point, they should have abandoned that as a standard, and yes. even if it was a comic, like if if they had put out an animated like um, Blizzard style like right. video yep. that like just adapted what uh, Laidlaw <laughs> published as a way of yeah. saying like look like. Our standards to make a game are to make a game that is going to defy your expectations, but we understand fans want closure on yep. the story. And even though the story that Laidlaw uh, 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 puts out ends with a, a cliffhanger that would have like led into a possible other like big budget Half-Life game that was expansive as a Half-Life or Half-Life 2, there is enough closure there that yeah. like the story of Gordon Freeman is put in a place where the speculation you have about what happens next is different than the speculation that Half-Life Episode 2 um, ends with in a way that is far less frustrating to fans. And right. the fact that it's come out in a blog post, I think, is the most severe sort of indictment of how Valve has handled this. Like, it's 2017, the conclusion of the saga of the Half-Life 2 episodic trilogy 
was a fucking um, like cryptic blog post that has to be translated <laughs> by hardcore fans. I didn't even get to see it on the blog post because it was it was down. I read it in a paste bin file. Yep, perfect. Like that's yeah. where I read the end of Half Life. Nice, <laughs> cool. I think it's also important, Patrick. I think you just did briefly. We'll go to Rob in a second. You just did a Blizzard style cinematic. Which is like a year ago, we would have said a Valve style, Team Fortress 2 style cinematic. <laughs> and yeah. in that year, like lunch has been eaten. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, what were you going to say? No, but the the other aspect of this is that because, like, as long as Valve were doing a lot of these like cool creative things and there was the hope right. of a Half Life 3, they could seem like something other than just a massive distribution monopoly. <laughs> like, the, like, this idea yeah. that, like, Valve was also this, like, really lavishly funded treehouse where somewhere in the heart of that company, you know, the magic was happening. Right, the masters were at leisure. Sort of... They were just, like, experimenting, and, like, they were the, the most brilliant minds in game development working on something that would change the world again. Oh, and, like... Okay, or at like, least be pretty cool. Right. Or at least <laughs> yes. be yes. a pretty cool eight-hour game. Yes. Yeah. But so, and, and, and as I long think, as you wait, can... Let's also just say briefly, I do think that like things like Portal and Portal 2 helped to ease the fear that we were never going to get uh, right. a right. Half-Life episode they 2. They put out well, good games, at right. least in the first part of this decade. Well, I guess it's the been a first decade. year of the decade. Like, it came out in 2011, right? Portal 2? Portal 2 was 2011. Okay. Uh, episode 2, Half-Life 2, Episode 2 was, was 2007. Then? was oh, October God. 10th, 2007. I don't know. I, Jesus. Who, who even knows at this point? Yeah, but... So as as long as you can sort of like kid your 2009 2009 uh, Jesus yeah. Christ Dude. So I mean as long as you could pretend this was still a company that made cool stuff in addition to controlling the primary distribution yeah. platform for PC gaming you could sort of pretend that it was something other than what it evidently is right and at this point you know, you got Laidlaw basically being like, well, look, here's here's what we were working on. I give up. I'm done. Um, <laughs> Leave me alone. Here's the a only thing bin. that <laughs> The only thing that Valve's actively, like, developing is Dota, which is something you had, like... You Not know. true. Artifact. Card game based on Dota. <laughs> Two. Yeah. The wow. sequel to Defense of the Ancients. Wow. Right. Which is a different game. <laughs> Legally right. speaking. And then you got... Yeah, and the and what so why are they investing in that stuff? Why are they developing it? Because it like fits their current business model. And we'll partner out a smart take on what Artifact is. It's going to be an actual trading card game where you have to conduct every single transaction through the, through the goddamn place. Steam Hell store. Yeah. So I hope I can play taking... it in the Steam store. I hope I can just go into my inventory and move <laughs> stuff around, and that's how I that's play. That's the game. That's the game. That is the game. Hell yeah! I so, really. Oh no, sorry. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah. So I mean, just the, the where, just where I'm going to leave off with this is like. Valve, you know, Valver like became in the business of of just like utilizing the hell out of this channel they built, and the the thing that I'd always sort of had this worry about was like, was was left was was Half Life Two really just a Trojan horse to get this goddamn distribution channel into every like PC gamer's house? And you want to know their like, intention? Like, is that really where we're we're at? The like, uh, I, I, mean, I think, I think it's theorizing. Yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's worth being. I don't think I'm not that cynical to think that was part of the intention back then. I am, but I think 
the result was a means to an end that you can now be cynical about mm-hmm. going forward, right? Like, so I don't think they funded and created Half-Life 2 thinking like, yes, this is the way we Trojan Horse Steam. And t- I mean, Steam sucked at first. Like, Steam was a, when you bought Half-Life 2 on Steam, it was a pile of shit and you were wondering why Steam you bought into this for in like the first place. a month. You know, that, like, that's the thing. Like, yeah, Steam had a rough launch when it, like, w- was actually created, but, like, wasn't long after that. that sure, totally. It started to really take off. Like, I, I just, it, you know, at a, at a certain point, once Steam was, was up and running and became, like, was the primary revenue stream for that company, I just find it kind of disappointing how quickly they started yeah. to back away from developing their own ideas. Yes. And then increasingly back away from developing any ideas at all. I really want to play a compilation of every prototype, of yeah. every half-finished, half-baked fucking idea that they had for Half-Life 3. Because you know there's a hundred of them. Well, I actually I, have I a want, list. like, an arcane I have a kids, list of the public like, one. Oh, that's a good idea, also. A fake like, collection a fake would also collection be great. An arcane kids-style, like, Sonic Dreams version. That would be amazing. <laughs> of all of the fake... They should just do... Someone should do a Valve game jam that's like, oh, yes. we're going to finish all the games that you canceled. So I'm going to read this list. There's a list of unreleased games over on Wikipedia. Uh, so, you know, who knows? Maybe some of these are fake, but... Yeah. Um, uh, of all of the, I'll just read from the top. Several games announced by Valve uh, as being in development have since been put on hold indefinitely. In addition, details on a number of unannounced projects from Valve have been revealed or leaked long after their cancellation. Prospero, a third-person exploration game with a science fantasy theme, the project was in development at the same time as Half-Life. Prospero's development team transitioned to work on Half-Life, which had gained more traction. Half-Life 2 Episode 3, announced in 2006 with a tentative release date of of late 2007, (laughs) the game was supposed to continue the story from Half-Life 2 Episode 2. Episode 3 missed its release date, and Valve has stopped discussing the project in the early 2010s. <laughs> Half-Life 2 Episode 4, also known as Return to Ravenholm, this project was in development by Arcane Studios around 2006-2007. However, However, Valve decided not to take the project forward. In 2012, Valve writer Mark Laidlaw confirmed rumors surrounding the project's existence, and screenshots of gameplay later emerged in 2013. Untitled Half-Life 2 Episode. <laughs> in, in November 2005, Junction Point Studios announced that it was working with Valve on a game. In April 2015, 10 years later, <laughs> Junction Point's founder, Warren Spector, revealed the project was an episode for Half-Life 2. <laughs> Development on the game ceased when Junction Point signed a deal with Disney Interactive to develop Epic Epic Mickey. Oh. Blood's on your hands, Disney. Oh, uh, make sure to watch Waypoint yeah, Presents uh, on Disney, uh, XD Disney XD every Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, untitled role-playing game, a fantasy action role-playing game about fairies that was in prototype phase and later canceled prior to Left 4 Dead release. The Crossing, a first-person shooter oh developed in collaboration with Arcane Studios. Arcane again! The project was announced in 2007 and put on hold in May 2009. That was that game that was going to be like single-player, multiplayer, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that crossover really, thing. Really, really interesting. Like two... That was on magazine covers. Yes, was on a, I, have, was... I have the like. I can tell you what the Game Informer cover looks yes. like. It was really beautiful white. Was it stark? I, was it... Game Informer or was it Computer Gaming World? Maybe they were, it was maybe, on covers of both. Yeah, maybe. Um, I'm, it was going to change the world. It was going to change the world. Yeah. The style in that game reminded me a little bit of like the secret, the secret world style totally. of like sharp reds with like crosses. That game, that game seemed like it was going to be good. Anyway, there's still more on this fucking list. Uh, uh, finally, Stars of Blood, which I'd never heard of until oh. now. Stars of Blood, a space pirate game. In November 2012, Newell re- uh, revealed a project's name and confirmed that it was no longer in development. Oh. I love that that's like, That oh, might have been a good call. By I'll the way. Yeah, but like, I love that he came out to be like, oh, by the way, we were, uh, 
we were going to make the Space Pirate game canceled. We canceled it. This <laughs> sounds same, cool, right? In no. the same breath. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> all at once. God. Oh. No, they, they just need to release, like, the orange casket. Where, like, <laughs> all of this shit. Just, like, you know what? Like, there's some good levels in here. Just have at it. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> that's the name. I got to write down. That's the yeah, I got title of the episode. Name yep, the game. Yep. The orange it's, casket it's by, also, the by the Arcane Kids. the Arcane Kids. The Arcane Kids release. Also, the Arcane Kids. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. yes. They have to spell it that way yes. on the box. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I love this. Oh, my God. And I hate it. Video games. <laughs> Although the, the idea of uh, it, one way that they could have sort of like done a pseudo apology for all this would actually be to have done like what if they put out like a sixty minute documentary that was like yeah yo here's we tried to make this game here's how we failed that'd be so and, like, good here here are the here are the concepts we explored here's the ones we rejected like that like there were just so many ways to have done this that wasn't uh, reading a paste bin of yeah. a potential ending to this game. Like, there are so many ways they could have brought this to a, a, a formal conclusion. And, like, this is something, like, because I'm so worked about it, I should probably just write about it at some point, but it's the lack of closure <laughs> and their inability to capitalize on that, I think, gets at the dysfunction of them as a studio. Right. Um, Instead of, and, just as Rob is pointing out, a company that is basically a rent a, a rentier, right? Like, Well, and it's, and, it, <laughs> and it's that lack of uh, a public uh, disclosure of just, like, just say who you are, right? Like, right. own it. Like, I, I think people's annoyance is Valve's uh, continued public image that they are something they clearly aren't, um, but then want to prop up. And you get Gabe Newell going out there saying, oh, we're working on three single-player VR games. Like, the fuck you are. Publish one and prove it. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I want to be clear that there is something here. I do want to, to say that I think it is rad that they don't feel the need to publish anything like that 100%. Not, like that they should be able to you know they have the resources and it's good uh, uh, I think practice to be able to say okay we're gonna make non-commercial stuff we're gonna make stuff privately and see if it works and if it doesn't work we'll throw it out but like also the degree of trans the, the lack of transparency here is what's so frustrating and in general the feeling that like you have all of these resources this is what all you goes back to again. all of this in talent this room, all you know? of uh, and, and that Games need leaders, right? Like, I, you know, Rob, part of what you said earlier was the reason that we forgive some of the, like, near monopoly on PC gaming that Steam has is this notion that they've given us a lot in terms of actual creative work, not just they've given us a lot in the sense that, like, all my games are in the same place, which is, like, kind yeah. of a bullshit argument because it's not that hard to run an EXE on your fucking computer. Um, and I'm, like, even though my morals and my politics do not have necessarily a lot of wiggle room when it comes to things like monopolies and and kind of uh, uh, putting economic pressure in order to to crunch out creativity or in, in order to to like capitalize on lots of other people's labor. Uh, I I do find an emotional tug that says like. Okay, but they put out this goes back to the, the, the Taylor Swift conversation, right? Which is like <laughs> but if you put out a good fucking song, I'm gonna look past your bullshit because I'm fucked up, because like I'm not a perfect person, because if you release like Shake It Off or its follow up amazing take it sequel, off. take it <laughs> yeah, off. Half Life Three, episode three. Take it off. Take it off. Yeah, part of the orange casket. Uh, exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, I would I would be in a better position or I would I would just find myself wanting to defend them. In the same way that I find myself wanting to defend other major companies that still put out really good work every now and then, right? Like, I think Nintendo does some shitty fucking things. Like, I legitimately do. I think that, like, their practices around fan creations is bad. I think that the stuff around the limited Arcane runs, even. 
Uh, right, they're even arcane. Mm. Uh, mm. <laughs> the limited runs around things like the SNES Classic, the NES Classic, are bad. Uh, you know, and I hold them to that. But also, like, Breath of the Wild was incredible. They make I'm, really, really great games I'm playing Mario yeah. plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle right now. That game's pretty good. Yeah, and, I mean, they're going to put out a game of the year called Super Mario Odyssey in yeah. just, like, a couple of weeks. If it's better than Prey. Which and, it might not be. And uh, uh, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, also a Nintendo joint. Also, also, <laughs> also game of the year contender. Player on the battlegrounds. Put that on Switch. <laughs> Put that. Oh, yo. <laughs> oh my God! I could actually play it if it was on Switch. <laughs> like, I think on. I think the Switch might overheat and the screen oh, would God. crack. God, I was playing something recently and I was mad that it wasn't on Switch. And but also imagine if that game was anything. on Switch. <laughs> right? Yes. Man. All right, we should talk about other things. <laughs> Valve, like, get it together. Yeah. Uh, I, Come I back. Wish we, I wish Come we back. lived in the world where they announced Half-Life 4, and then they also announced a two-hour, like, Half-Life 2, Episode 3, and Half-Life 3 movie, where they're like, all right, we have some creative ideas that have nothing to do with where that game ended. Protect, like, here is what happened between that last Episode 2 and where we're going in Half-Life 4. And also maybe it's a VR thing or maybe it's whatever it is. Just like make that next thing and just let us fill in the gaps however we need to. Um, do something. Can I just imagine? If they, if they did that, it, you could also inspire other developers to pick <clears throat> up some of those ideas. And we could actually right. play something right. that came out of that. Like that right. would Dude, someone, really someone's going to do a fan mod that just adapts this oh, anyway. And I cannot yeah, wait totally. to play it. That's yeah. what uh, Emmanuel Myberg, who wrote it up over at Motherboard, was like. The nice thing about this is we're going to get that fan game 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, ugh. I get and it's going to get sold on Steam. Of course it is. Steam. Of course, because they, they set that up last year when they started allowing yeah. Half-Life mods True. to be sold on Steam. Mm-hmm. So let's zoom out one more level here before we leave this behind, which is it's not just they're not giving us single-player stuff anymore. That bums me out, right? Because if we'd gotten Left 4 Dead 3 and it was incredible and it pushed cooperative games forward the way that Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead 2 seemed to, maybe we'd, I'd be in a happier place. But it's that they are doubling down. It's that games are changing and that niches are, are being introduced that are large enough to be sustainable, especially when it's tied to the world's largest gaming uh, uh, ecosystem and retail store. Um, that, like... They didn't need to give me Half-Life 3 for me to be, like, a good, like a fan of Valve. Like, I'm not a big Half-Life fan, as I already set up. But what I do want to do is be able to respect that they are innovating in places that touch gaming as a whole instead of touching these little smaller circles. Like, you know, we run stories about Dota not all the time, but pretty often, and I'm interested in them. Like, uh, Josh Melnick wrote up... Um, the uh, about the changes in in Dota in the last year of play, going from the last international to this international, right before the international a couple weeks ago, and it was fascinating thinking about oh wow, look at how this game's changed. Look at how they're like shifting the community and they're they're rebalancing things and they're you know uh, supporting different styles of play and the variety of heroes that are played and blah blah blah. All of that's interesting, but you you don't see that filtering out into the world of gaming the way like real time physics simulation right. did, the way scripting in single player action games from Half Life One did, the way uh, uh, things like the the AI director uh, obviously that was Turtle Rock originally, but but even in, in as it was advanced. 
in in Left 4 Dead 2, the way that that sort of thing has has uh, kind of drifted out along the, to the rest of the world of, of gaming. And like that's where I want leaders in the world of gaming to be leaders. You have the resources to experiment and find new ways of solving problems and new ways of being creative. Figure those out. And then, like, you don't have to, like, go open source. I'm not asking you to, like, share the code. Right. Like, I want you to, to innovate in that space because, like, that's what we – that's, for me, what a real leader looks like. It's one of the reasons why I think that small companies like From can be looked at as leaders, as leaders in this industry because they can shift the conversation around games and can start – we've all read that Matthew Burns – or played that Matthew Burns game of, like uh, – what, what's that game called? The uh, the writer's room or whatever it's oh, called. Yeah, yeah. The author yeah. will fix it. The, the author will, will fix it. Yeah. The writer yeah. will fix it. Fix it exactly. Where it's like, oh, the dark, okay, try to make it more like Dark Souls. Try to make it more like Dark Souls. Like somehow, from which has a, a one hundredth of the resources that Valve yeah. does, managed to like completely change the direction of, of games in this in this industry uh, in a way that then had a, a trickle down effect to where roguelikes have had a renaissance to where like and that's what a company like Valve can do, and I'd like to see them do it again. Hell yeah, that's my appeal, Gabe. If you're listening, <laughs> Gabe. <laughs> Hey, Brendan, get on the phone with Gabe, will you? God, <laughs> I know you have his number. All right. <laughs> Shout-outs shout to PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, the, the true Half-Life 3 sequel. Hell what yeah. If, okay, what if they release a PlayerUnknown's wow. Battlegrounds single-player mode, and it is The Crossing, and it is Half-Life 3? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what if you, what if you Co-developed by Arcane. I'm shocked Valve doesn't just Jesus. buy Blue Hole. Yeah. Well, Tencent beat him to the punch, right? Oh, did Tencent buy them? Yeah. I don't oh, realize yeah. that. Okay. yeah. yeah. Okay, that's there. Well, Otherwise, we would be seeing Aperture Science graffiti instead of <laughs> Gamescom graffiti. So, <sighs> I mentioned Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. We should talk about Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, a new game from Nintendo and Ubisoft <clears throat> that is... You may remember it as the game that made uh, a grown man, Dave, David Solani, I think is his name, cry at E3, and it was the most beautiful moment of E3. Moment. It was. I'm not being facetious. That was actually like... Beautiful. Not a random really fan. Nice. He is the creative yeah, director of the game. He's the creator game. of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I love the notion. I'm just like, Danielle knows. There was one man. There was on a the, man in the audience. No, it wasn't even on the, in my mind, it was just a guy walking through <laughs> the floor right. of E3. And just like, David Solani just turns and looks and sees Mario shooting a rabbit with a blaster, a single tear, and then the floodgates open. He drops to his knees. Mario, he says, Mario. Cool, I'm sure you like it. Uh, <laughs> a fucking like rabid, rabid peach like coming out of the sky like Mufasa and like yeah. reach, reaching down. Oh, I almost was... choked on my coffee, and I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, uh, it's it's Mario XCOM. Uh, is the is the cheap? Um, it's not. It's actually not in some important ways. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I think it. yeah, I've probably put in about eight hours. I'm almost okay. through the second world. Um, there are five, um, barring you know a secret world, which wouldn't surprise me because that's a very familiar trope. Yeah. For, um, Nintendo themed games. Um, I'd say like it's actually closer to like uh, Mario or uh, 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 Fire Emblem than it is to XCOM. It has some of the aesthetic trappings of XCOM right. with like uh, the percentages and the like Overwatch mechanic. For people that don't know, Overwatch is basically like when you've planted your one of your squad mates, um, you can uh, allow them to take a shot at someone as they like make a movement. Um, it's a way of like getting like a second shot that's usually weaker than 
<clears throat> your primary shop, but you don't actually have to like reveal your position or something like that. Um, because it's this is more of a tactics are a part of this game, strategy is a mm-hmm. part of this game, but it is a puzzle box um, that is wrapped in a a tactics game, and I that is uh, that conceit is uh, wrapped in a lot of meta layers. Like for example, um, when you finish uh, an individual round, uh, you are judged on your performance, and your performance is judged on keeping everyone alive and finishing. Um, under a certain amount of turns. And so you are encouraged, penalty-free, to restart a round if it goes poorly and you want to try and uh, achieve that that perfect victory. You can, after the fact, um, go back to a specific chapter and try a battle when you're a little more powerful and have more options and can achieve that that perfect uh, gold medal that gets you more coins and yeah. power-ups. Um, and so the, the game itself is structured in a way that you... Yeah, there are percentages, but like the percentages... Well, so you're never you're never going to have percentages, right? Yes, there's, there's only zero, three. fifty, and a hundred. You're right. never going to have an instance where uh, you're going to be right next to. So like, there's this you know the common XCOM trope of uh, let's say you're right uh, right around the corner from an enemy or right in front of an enemy, and yeah. you have a ninety eight percent chance of making that shot, in which like the dice roll should almost always land in your favor. But famously, you're o- you're going to have at least once during like a forty hour run an instance where you <laughs> miss that shot, um, and it's infuriating, and it fucks hilarious. You. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it screws everything up. And the you- animation is hilarious because it's like the soldier lowers the shotgun <laughs> to the yeah. sectoid's head and it's like cocks it and it's like I got you, motherfucker. Pulls the trigger and just like lifts their arms up into the sky <laughs> as if to shoot a warning shot or something. Um, and so but- that never happens. Like when you when you when you you're when you see a percentage 50-50 is 50-50, zero is zero um a hundred percent is a hundred percent and so like you can make strategic calculations that you have a lot more reliability for which is plays into the puzzle aspect of the game where it's encouraging you to be efficient to work fast right to, to use skills that maximize um like this game has a, a huge focus on the squad mates interacting with one another so you can do you know, a that, thing where you like bounce off of one of your squad mates like they'll toss you into the air almost like a power ranger would um a chroma squad which came out like a couple years ago uh which was like the power rangers tactical rpg by the people who did um uh whatever that tabletop rp uh what the fuck was that called oh it's gonna kill me anyway chroma squad did that same thing of just like oh you can jump from one of your characters to another character uh, or like out into the world which is really cool what are the other what are some of the other are there's like buffs and stuff like that in a way that there just aren't that often in XCOM right and they, the buffs start getting more interesting as the game progresses like I just unlocked the sort of uh, uh, rabid Mario and so right. rabid Mario is a tank class basically and so what uh, rabid Mario can do is he has this really interesting power that is 80% reduction of damage on movement um, so, so essentially, like it, when you get to the right, the first world of this game, I think some people like think of the whole first world as sort of a tutorializing of the basic mechanics, and you're gonna wonder why, like towards the end, like how come these enemies can't use any of the powers that I have to make this uh, encounter more complicated? That immediately switches in the second world where mm. they can start using buffs. They can they, they're gonna. They use a lot of the strategies that they you use have Overwatch your disposal. Or, or they use like over, the, oh yes, right. yeah. You will have three enemies that put themselves into Overwatch, and then the moment you like dash across the screen, thinking like I'm gonna bounce on two of my uh, squad mates and make it a, a three force across the map, which you could safely do otherwise. Um, you can no longer do that because that means you're gonna get hit three times and lose all, it, most, if not all, your health. But right. what um, this Mario Rabbit character can do is 
he can, if you see a bunch of guys going to Overwatch, but you need to make a push forward, because like, for example, there are certain uh, types of encounters where you need to get Toad from one end to the, uh, the, the map to the other. Toad can move, but he cannot attack. Toad cannot do any sort of like funny dash mechanics. He can't jump on other characters. He just needs to get from one other side to the other, and he doesn't have a lot of HP. So in that scenario, especially if you're going for the perfect run, you don't have time to dilly-dally. You can't just, like, crouch down and overwatch and then just, like, slowly take everyone out. You have to keep moving forward. Like, the game is a lot about momentum and, and progression and continuing to move forward in an aggressive manner. And so what Mario Rabbit can do is that when those characters are going to overwatch, like, he can buff up and then yeah. he can run out into the open, take all of those shots off the board. And because they're on a cooldown, you know you're going to have at least two or three turns where those right. characters are no longer going to go into overwatch. And that's um, when you can deal with them. And the other thing there, too, that's interesting is that, like, um, two things. One, uh, this is just a funny game. Like, this is just a game that is goofy in a way that tactical RPGs tend not to be. Correct. Uh, tactical RPGs are are uh, tense affairs because restarting is a big deal. Uh, you know, you look at something like XCOM where either you're going to, if, even if your save's coming, it tends to be like you're deep into a match, or not a match, you're deep into a, a mission before things go wrong, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. All right, I'll redo the first you know twenty minutes of this mission again. Or you don't save Scum and you lose somebody permanently. Also, the maps in XCOM are like procedurally generated, or or I guess like XCOM two they're not. There's just a bunch of them, but there's a bunch of there's a bunch of them, and they're like randomly pulled from a hat. And so it's you like don't know. it's kind of like Spelunky, right? So it's XCOM like it's, one it's... was I think XCOM two. Okay. I'm pretty sure I read. I, I I could be completely wrong here, so so fair warning. But uh, XCOM two, I think they just made a huge bucket of handmade levels. Mm. Gotcha. Okay, um, but it's a huge bucket, so you don't know, and you can't go back and repeat it. It's not like you're learning a map and you're learning the system. Um, uh, And so this has the space to be very goofy. Uh, This is the space to be to have a moment where someone a a, a rabbit in a luchador mask bounces off of one of their friends to come jump down at me. And then Luigi, who was a sniper in this game, (laughs) peeks around the corner of like a green cube, takes aim and literally shoots the luchador rabbit out of the air with his vacuum cleaner sniper rifle. And like... (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, But the second thing is, also, you talk about momentum, Patrick. And one of the things that's really fascinating for me about this game, as someone who plays a lot of tactical RPGs, this game is about movement inside of a turn as this really fluid, circular, looping thing Mm -hmm. that you don't ever see in games like this. So... On top of just being able to run around, you could do melee attacks where you kind of like run and do like a baseball slide into somebody, like a slide tackle to do damage. Um, or you can have melee weapons too. Some, like Mario gets a big hammer, blah, blah, blah. But, but when you do that run through melee attack, you don't end your turn. You get to keep moving. You can even go set up shop behind cover and take a shot. And then on top of that, there's the bouncing off of uh, your, your allies thing. You're bouncing off the other members of your team. But also there are pipes throughout the levels, in the first world anyway, that let you like move up to higher levels or link into a different thing. And when you go through a pipe, you get extra movement, which means you can end up doing these things where you like are on the second level of uh, looking down at a set of enemies. Run down, do a slide tackle through one of them, come back over, go through a pipe, go up to another level that's like across from where you used to be, uh, and then loop back down and around through another pipe that brings you down and then back up to your original spot get back into cover and take a shot and so you end up doing these like 
really interesting circular loops through a level that feel like platforming in a very abstract sense, right? Well, like, and and, you're, and, you, and you combine that with um, like a character like Mario, who specifically has an ability to not all the characters can jump on another yes, character to right. cause damage, but Mario, because you know known for jumping, like can do that. And so, like, th- think of it this way: like there there's an additional layer of complexity to the the loop you just described, where right. like let's say he passes through. Um, a friendly a squad mate like on the way right. like he can get at, you can jump extra far like midway through that jump off that character land on an enemy that's below get uh, you know extra damage from yeah. the uh, the height differential and then <laughs> right. work his way into a pipe on the other side of the map where you can suddenly be like at the bottom of the map and the top <clears throat> of the map um, in a single turn um, and still like uh, set yourself up for an overwatch or a shot and right. it feels extremely fluid and a lot of the mechanics as you unlock the skill tree and the skill tree like unlocks about halfway through the first world so if it feels like if you're playing this game and it feels very basic yeah. up front like no the skill tree is not incredibly complex it's three layers and if you put in the effort to do some extra challenges and seek out the extra stuff like you're probably going to be able to fill out most of that skill tree yeah. like about halfway through the game unless there's like another skill tree that unlocks but I, I doubt that's the case um you just end up having a lot of really interesting options where like uh peach uh rabbit can chain together dashes so she right. can knock out three different people for not a lot of damage unless you invest points into it but um can do a lot of like quick punches work her way back um and there's like other interesting uh, layers on that. So like uh, Rabid Luigi has something called Vampire. So when <laughs> he um, knocks into, when he does a dash uh, against an enemy, he inflicts them with uh, this Vampire uh, uh, status. And so at that point, it's not he not only uh, extracts damage based on the damage that he caused uh, to a certain percentage when he does the dash. They're infected with that status for some amount of turns, and it impacts right. all the other. Uh, players in your squad. So let's say, for example, you just took like a big hit from one of the larger enemies in the game. Well, like you can have Rabid Luigi inflict vampire on that guy and then have everyone concentrate their fire and all of a sudden they've just gotten a healing bonus despite the fact that you don't actually have a healer in your squad. Or uh, the other interesting thing about like the tank um, uh, Mario is that he has the ability to draw... Uh, aggro. So, like, there are certain enemies that will aggro based on the fact that you're shooting them, but uh, Tank Mario can actually uh, draw that aggro specifically based on an area of effect power. And so, let's say you you set up Mario and Luigi, who both have the ability to do these Overwatch, these like um, uh, post round shots. You can set them up, and let's say you have a specific enemy you need to draw out because they're about to take out one of your other squad mates. So they're going after Toad. You can set them into Overwatch and then use. Uh, rabid uh, Mario to draw them out. Right. It forces them to move. Like when you do the the area effect, they that that enemy is forced to move a certain amount of spaces, and then suddenly those. I used that last night in a, a scenario where I was Toad was about to be taken out, and so I drew out this enemy. They both Mario and Luigi both take their shots, and then they're done. Like it's a game that and as that's I'm playing on top it, of that's on top of. Uh, elemental effects that a lot of the yep. weapons get where you can set someone on fire, which can also pull them out of cover because they're on fire and they do the Mario <laughs> thing of like, oh, I'm on fire. I'm going to run around. <laughs> yep. It's like screaming. Grab their butt and They grab their butt. Yeah, yeah 100%. Awesome. Or, you know, uh, a honey or, or glue or whatever that like locks them in place. So if you if you destroy cover because uh, it, when someone's behind cover and you miss, it hits the cover and the cover can be destroyed depending on how powerful the attack is. Ooh. So it's all of these different interacting things. Rob, you need to play this game. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely sounds like, like I a, do. 
as a tactics person because of how different it feels from these other games while still feeling like fundamentally it's, like I, and it's I, extremely I, approachable right like yeah. so what i noticed last night when i was explaining the game to a, a buddy who's staying over for the weekend who's really into games and was looking forward to this game i i had this moment when i was playing it where i was like this game seems pretty simple but then as i was explaining everything i was doing yeah. and all the things i was taking into account and all the options i had i was like well, actually, part of the genius of this game is that it simplifies and makes approachable a bunch of dynamic interactions and options that I'm just, I've just internalized. But then when I had to articulate all the things I was taking into account, I was like, holy shit, like there's a lot going on here. Now, granted, you could not interact with a lot of that stuff right. and, and just kind of just shoot and go into cover. And there's an easy mode that the game allows you to jump into at any time you start a round. It's not a difficulty slider for the whole game. It's a difficulty slider per round. Yeah. So it's just like a particular round is giving you trouble. Just drop into easy mode. Like, it's fine. There's no consequence. The game doesn't penalize you or anything like that. But I... It, it does the very Nintendo thing. And I think Breath of the Wild also does this really well. Um, and it surprises me coming from someone like Ubisoft where games like Assassin's Creed have yeah. a lot of systems but aren't very elegant about how those systems mish and mash. Especially when you look at the UI of a game like Assassin's Creed Origins, you kind of just go like, eh. Um, <laughs> this game mashes up in a very Nintendo Breath of the Wild way a bunch of really interesting, complex systems without overwhelming you and often making those systems interact in a way that you're not even aware they're interacting. You're just processing and using them because they've they've uh, onboarded you to it in a way that feels fluid and not overwhelming. I think it's a, I think it's a really damn good game. Like I came yeah. away with with positive impressions at E three, and I've put in you know if for folks that even find the initial ch uh, or rounds not particularly challenging. Um, there's an additional layer of challenges that open up per world. I think there's ten each, and there's a then a hidden episode in those worlds that are like purposely more difficult because they're optional and the challenges are like for example um like it'll, it'll present like eight enemies like a selection of three that are pretty easy to take out a selection of four that are like a little harder and then like one you know like a really difficult Real enemy difficult, and, it's a, yeah. and it says hey do this in two rounds and it's like oh fuck like that you oh, then no, you need, I to, need to stay away from that then oh. you need to be think yeah then you need to be thinking like you have to think out all the interactions yep. you're going to be doing for the entire two rounds. And, like, I was taking out, like, a notebook and thinking, like, okay, like, how are my hit points going to stop? <laughs> oh, like, oh, man. And I was like, wow, like, fuck. Like, so there is that extra layer of, like, really difficult, challenging, hardcore shit if you want to go there. And then that's what lets you, like, earn the extra stuff to, like, buy all the weapons that have the different elemental stuff that right. you may not be able to unlock through the normal set of coins they're getting you. Fill out the skill tree if you don't want to have to pick, like, all the different options um, uh, th th that you would normally I, just uh, be presented with. It's, I will yeah. say hmm. that, that that aspect, the sort of puzzle-solving aspect, get, hits me in different different ways and different quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together jd power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store and now save 50 percent on the sleep number limited edition smart bed for a limited time 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Times of the day, when I'm like on my bus into work and I have like, oh, I know I'm going to have 40 minutes and I'm like, I'm waking up and I'm kind of like trying to find something to focus on. It's actually been really cool to be like, okay, what's the best way through this? Or like when I'm playing on a weekend, it's like, okay, I have a couple hours. I can really settle into that mode. But when I play tactics games, I'm often playing at night uh, when I'm like a little sleepy and I really enjoy kind of slamming my way through a mission and like getting a less than positive result um, because it doesn't matter. Like when I play through XCOM, as long as my people are alive at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many missed shots I have. It doesn't matter if I took too many rounds, as long as I got the stuff, you know, as long as I, I... Managed to succeed at the mission, and I like that about a lot of tactical games is like the messiness, the fact that it, and the fact that it doesn't feel like there is a solution. Um, I'm through the first world of Mario uh, plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. I've only gotten perfect, so I'm not like bragging here, but I'm like saying it's not like this is too difficult for me. But I, I've gotten those at the expense of like stress in my day when I didn't want it, where I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, okay, let me think about it. Let me actually try to solve for for you know for X instead of get into what feels like a good tactical line. And, like, there's a, a slightly different part of my, like, gaming brain wait between for those world, two things. Wait for World 2. Oh. Like, world 2 introduces... And if, if they're going to start scaling the game, like, right. at this pace for, like, World 2... Like, the fact that they introduce a tank character halfway through 2, right. and I still have, I think, four or five characters to unlock... Oh, wow. Like, makes me really excited to for the potential of what those like my guess is like the, the first four characters you unlock are pretty basic and like yeah. give you like a like a general squad but like you may not want to use like a tank character because that's going to be a little too complex or right. weird or like require a level of thinking that maybe you just don't want to interact with the game like this and you'd rather just like use the pistols and like the the, the kind of like the basic setup uh-huh. but my hope is for like the other characters they're going to be weird and they're going to like introduce like layers of tactical strategy and options for players that like hey do you want to like do some weird shit when you like get into this match um because i can't imagine the rest of the characters or i'd be disappointed with the rest of the characters just being like here's another guy that Uh does the same stuff that you've done um (laughs) it's just a different rabbit or it's a different mario character like this game seems smart enough that i'm fairly confident those other characters are going to introduce dynamics that are going to make the rounds like really exciting and, yeah. and different. Uh, it might even just be the case that it gets hard enough that I'm just like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to lose. So I'm not going to get a perfect. It's fine. I'll get through it. And once that happens, I'll be actually better with the game. But as long as I'm able to consistently get perfects without, with just a little bit of extra brain power, I'm going to be in this little middle area where it's like, this feels more like a puzzle than a combat to me, than a combat. I'll, I'll say World 2 is where I finally started losing characters okay. that, like, when I would lose a character in World 1, it was often because I just wasn't really paying attention attention right. was like ah yeah I probably shouldn't have done that um <laughs> uh whereas in world two like i'd have to like really think through right some of my stuff and if it, it continues to scale in that way um that would make me really happy i'm just i'm i'm glad this game seems to be as good as i was hoping it yeah. was and it's also I, I think the fear that nintendo xcom meant uh more simplified than the aesthetic possibly suggested this feels more in line with you know Maybe not as far as Fire Emblem, but somewhere in the middle. But also, it, I don't think it sacrifices complexity for the sake of simplicity. Right. Um, 
in in a way that I think people might have been worried about. And the reason I it's, it reminds me of Fire Emblem is because when I play Fire Emblem with permadeath on, but I also don't allow anyone to die, right, 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 right. Um, which is a very common way of playing yep. Fire Emblem. So it's like you embrace the fact that when a character goes down that you love, like I'm not gonna leave my boy Donald out there on the field. <laughs> like he's coming home. Right. He's got to go home to that farm, have a family, raise those kids, like make his dad proud. Um, both his canonical in-game father and me, his video game father. Yes. Um, and so when I have a character die in Fire Emblem, I start the match over and find right. a way for that not to happen. And so I'm treating it as a puzzle, but the puzzle is solved through tactics and strategy. And I'm getting the sense that that Mario and Rabbids is similar, similar especially yeah. as the game progresses and in- increases complexity and difficulty. The last one I'll compare it to is a game that came out last year, or maybe it was a year and a half ago now, called SteamWorld Heist. It I was, was going to ask about that, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. actually very similar in, not very similar, but similar enough in that like it's about these smaller challenge, like smaller uh, combat encounters that are replayable, where it feels like there is a solution to some degree, but also there's enough complexity. There's not a solution. There are many solutions, and it's about like figuring out what that solution looks like, given what your your kind of like group of, of characters and abilities looks like. Um, also, people should play SteamWorld Heist. That game's like really fucking good. So that's my my suggestion. I think that might do it for us today. We should maybe take a quick dip in the bucket, in the question, the old question bucket. A little dipsy? Yeah. Um, Also, just briefly, I mentioned XCOM. I have been playing War of the Chosen, but I'm, like, so early in it still that I've only seen the very first little bits of what that expansion looks like, so I can't, like, say anything definitively on it. The the way that 2K does press, like... uh, (laughs) This is a uh, new thing. This is... It's so weird. It sucks. I did it for the first time last year. Have you used it before, Rob? Are you on the? No, as I understand it, they're creating bespoke Steam accounts, though, right? Yeah, I have. So I have. I got a bespoke Steam account for XCOM War of the Chosen. They're like, oh yeah, log in as like 2K underscore HQW889 underscore XCOM or whatever uh, with its own bespoke password and then its own separate. This is like some like games journalism wine bullshit right now, but like, and then run a second like thing that verifies your IP address and so I did that here at work because I'm going to stream it and then I went home to play the game I was like oh fuck it only lets you verify one IP address at the time so now I have two different saves on two (laughs) different accounts I haven't checked yet to see if I can just transfer the save over or what but it's like it is a little bit of like you know game journalist wine but at the same time like it's really freaking obnoxious like like you're you're using a platform like that's renowned for its convenience so you Mm -hmm. can just like port a game from place to place. The other thing I want to say is, like, if you're having trouble with copies going out <laughs> to the wrong people, or you know, people not using it for the purposes they, you know, they're representing to your PR representatives, um, do your due diligence. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like that, right. but don't put that on. Don't like. Do not come to professional like you know game journalists and editors. And then, you know, parcel it out like, well, now, are you really who you say you are? You can use this, but only in the office. Otherwise, it's play. And it's not going to be your game after the preview period ends. So if you're just in it for free games, you don't get to have one of those either. Like, it's really condescending. And it's a huge, like, pain in the ass. Like, we we wanted to stream this this week, but we couldn't. Because we didn't have access to the magic PC that like had this fucking build on it. Like screw that. It's 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 a frustrating thing, but it's it's like a very inside baseball thing. So I'm gonna try not to complain about it too much. Instead, I'm gonna go to the, the question bucket. I need a number between one and fifty-three. Let's close this week out with a good one. 
47. Is that a good number? It's a great number. Why is that a good number? It's a great number because uh, four is a good number, seven is a good number. Them together is like magic, baby. Yeah. I would have said 74, but you know, we're not, we don't have we're not there numbers. anymore. So. All right, here we go. This one comes in from Manuel from uh, Guadalajara in, in, in Mexico. Awesome. Hello, Waypointers. Thanks for all the great work. Big fan of the site. I live in Mexico, and I work for an American company finding jobs for people in America and all over the world. In a global economy, my work generates jobs in the U.S. and plenty of other countries. Yet I have to put up with a lot of hate towards me personally and my country. Why do people see taking pride in Ford taking back their investment in my country and pointing and laughing at us when a tweet from the president of from a while ago, oh. uh, messes with our currency and our economy. Furthermore, if the behaviors of our number one trade partner is effectively affecting our, our economy, how come I'm constantly hearing that I should not have an opinion on American politics? Lack of knowledge of global economics work, lack of empathy, people just being assholes. I appreciate your insight. Thanks for all the great work. Big fan of the site. Uh, Manuel from, from Guadalajara. I think all the above. All Manuel. the above. <laughs> yeah. I think there is a real lack of understanding what global economies look like. I, I, you know, also, I think that there is fair arguments to be made around global trade policy and stuff like that. But I think mo- that's not where I think a lot of that comes that's from. That's not where the MAGA stuff comes from. Nah. No. Well, that comes from a desi- no desire to learn about global policy, as well as not knowing a thing about global policy. There's there's also an element of, like, a particularly intense disdain for Mexicans or people who could, can be confused with Mexicans uh, in sure. the United States. And I think uh-huh. part of that might be because, like, since the United States stole a good portion of its territory and absorbed a lot of people who were formerly Mexican into the United States, there is kind of this, like... Into, like this, there's this constant like surprise from like racists and bigots that like other people are here too, uh-huh. and so like Mexicans by by our very like prevalence in American society and like prevalence in, in like major population centers, kind of evoke that like nativist sentiment that that faux nativist sentiment yeah. of like what the hell are you people doing here? Couple that with the fact that like a lot of times Mexicans are associated with like service level jobs mm. that that people feel entitled to treat people working those jobs as like lower class or lower status. And you've got a really toxic combination. The other thing I'll say is global capitalism is really good at getting people to blame the exploited for the yeah. actions of their exploiters. <laughs> sure is. Like Mexico, like a lot of the NAFTA resentment is because like Mexicans took American manufacturing jobs. Well, that's sort of, it's not like they came in and like jacked all the jobs <laughs> overnight and like dragged them down to Mexico. Like trade laws changed and companies yeah. were suddenly entitled to like produce products in Mexico and bring them over to the United States very easily. And you could pay those Mexican workers considerably less and probably uh, pay far less attention to workplace safety guidelines, yep. uh, workers' rights, HR R- HR regulations, and instead of crit- critiquing that, instead of saying like, "Hey, the people who made those decisions right. are actually to blame for this," right. yeah. yeah, yeah, and in, instead of saying like, "Boy, it's pretty disgusting how you know major companies will go to you know very employer friendly worker exploitative uh, labor markets." And then eliminate jobs in the United States. Instead of critiquing that, like instead the conversation becomes about the people who are in the position where they have to take those jobs, uh, as if they had taken those jobs away from you personally. 
Well, it's funny because we, we actually spent a lot of this week talking about the ways in which people focus on individuals who are part of a systemic uh, labor problem instead of talking about what the systemic issues are, where those issues come from. Uh, earlier this week, Polygon, Polygon ran an excerpt of a, uh, a book that's coming out. Do you remember what the name of the full book is? Um, oh. I, I forget what it is. It's uh, by uh, – uh, Walt Williams. Um, the name of the book is Significant Zero, and they, they ran half of a chapter or something like that um, about. Uh, I guess the the title that, of crunch. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's about crunch. The title that Polygon gave it is Why I Worship Crunch, and they socialed it with like um, uh, a brutal, a brutal, a brutally honest, a brutally honest take on crunch, or a brutally honest yeah. look at crunch. Um, and it was basically this like deep, like personal. Uh, kind of antidote antidote anecdote about not even anecdote really but like i guess just some some thoughts about what the appeal of crunch was to walt and kind of like how it was should we say what crunch is for for i guess so yeah i guess uh, just in case you probably you know read about video games you've heard of this but it basically refers to extremely extremely intense long hours usually towards the end of a project when you just got to get it done Uh, we're talking like 70, 80 plus hour yep. weeks, you know, working all weekend long. And there's a lot of burnout from that, uh, understandably. And it's it's sort of a process that is it's very endemic. A lot of game companies sort of experience right. this. This was the sort of thing that, you know, EA spouse, that whole letter in the early 2000s was totally uh, brought. Uh, and so it was, it was a piece that was just like, here's how I'm addicted to crunch, or I spent yeah. some time addicted to crunch. Uh, and it was just like, really, it, it ended up being this defense and leg- legitimation of crunch, even though it was supposed to be a, even though in context it may have been a takedown, as presented on their site, it was not. Uh, we ended up running a response to it from Cameron Kunzelman. Go to the site to look at that. And, and and fundamentally, Cameron's point was, when we look at issues like crunch, when we look at issues of labor exploitation, frankly, when we look at issues of, of racism and nationalism, we should be thinking systemically. We should be thinking about things uh, in terms of their their kind of root causes, their overdetermined causes, all the different things that combine to make something uh, material in our in our independent lives, and we should be coloring those things with the independent stories, with you know things that we confirm as being like actually this is what it looks like from the ground this is level. Lived this is the lived yeah. experience, exactly. And so from that perspective, Walt's piece is very useful. Of like, okay, hey, here is where someone could find themselves addicted to the, being pushing themselves the to the limit. Of that. The intensity yeah. of it, the 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 feeling of creative fulfillment, even if there isn't actually a lot of creative fulfillment happening. Um, and so like. So trying to go to our site and look at that, and, and I think like that to me is also that like to to just add on to Rob's thing about about the kind of racism around Mexican labor, around international labor in general. Uh, I I grew up in Atlantic City, and every summer a lot of Eastern European uh, workers came into to Atlantic City to work throughout all the retail shops, and just like every you know every year I just heard like sh- super shitty things said about people from Ukraine. Like so you know that is. Uh, that sort of thing follows from this elevation of, or partially, the elevation of uh, individuals as prime movers. As like, if you are affected by something, a lot of people will say it's because a single person or a group of individual people are are doing this thing and not this larger thing, which is like, they've been pushed into a position to do that, to, to take those actions, because it's the only way that it makes sense in the market. I want to keep doing this conversation. Unfortunately, somebody else needs the We're space. We're about to get kicked out. We're about out. to get kicked out, uh, which is fair. We knew when we had the space, too. We went a little long today. Uh, I'm also Walker. wasn't fair. Uh, yeah. hmm. uh, you can call me. Uh, you can call me. You can call me. You call you, maybe. Maybe. Uh, no. Find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Rob? At Rob Zachney on Twitter. 
Danielle. You can find me at Danielle or I where I'm not dead. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, Patrick had to step away for a moment. You can find him on Twitter at Patrick Klepper. You can find everything we do at waypointadvice.com, twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypointvice, and youtube.com slash waypointvice. That's going to do it for us. Thanks to Rob Schultz for for, uh, doing the production for us today. Uh, We will be back on Monday with with more Waypoint Radio. Until then, what do we say? Be good and be good at it. Peace. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.